Hello, my name is Anthony Hudson and welcome to my podcast, The Masterminds. Please join me as I bring interviews with some of the very best in the world of sports. From top football managers, club chairmen, sports psychologists and the leading experts in the world of analytics, team culture and leadership. Next up, a very special guest. I'm slightly biased here when I say this, but really anyone who watches games from back in the day will see that this man was an absolutely outstanding footballer. Played for Chelsea, Arsenal, Stoke, Seattle Sounders. I'm proud to introduce my old man, Alan Hudson. Dad, I want to talk about a few things. We've spoke for a while about the difference between management and coaching. Also, dealing with great players, superstar players, maverick players. But first, I want to I want to talk about your start at Stoke City Football Club, signed by a great manager, Tony Waddington, who over the years I've heard some unbelievable stories about. And I think this, this is a perfect example or a perfect story about uh, dealing with with great players. When I signed for Tony, I was I was having a bad time at Chelsea, and he paid a record fee for me. It was around about a quarter of a million pounds, a lot of money in them days. I went to Stoke. They were fourth from bottom in the league, and then in our first training session, we had the first team against reserves. I'd never met the lads. I'd only met them once, I think, in a in a nightclub on the first night up. And uh, he'd give all these bibs out, give the reserves the bibs, and then he'd give out the first team different coloured bibs, and he'd give me a completely different coloured bib to anyone else. And he told the first team players, who I knew through playing against, just give the ball to that coloured shirt. So immediately he made me about five enemies in, a, in my own team. So I was playing against five of my players. So he put me in a terrible position, and I thought, that was a move that he, that was one of the f- only things I've ever known him to do wrong. Because Tony wasn't a coach, he was a manager. He, should, he shouldn't have done that. He should have let me find out my own way, who would pass to me and who wouldn't pass to me, who would play through me. Like when he was in Colorado, where, when the kid was in midfield and we, I said to him, we spoke to him and then I spoke to him personally and I said, look, you've got to, Demand the ball. You got to get the ball. Forget you can't coach. You can't coach these people. That they've either got to know it or they, you know, from a child. You, it's, it's instinctively. If you're a midfield player, like the Germans had Beckenbauer, everybody knew that when they got the ball from the back, they just must find him. That's why Helmut Schaum put him in the back four from midfield to release him. So he couldn't get couldn't get picked up. So that was the kind of role that I had, and I had it at Seattle. And I always said to the Americans, "If you know, don't know anything about football, look at me as your quarterback. That's the only way you can relate to America, the, the American public at that time. But now they're more educated, and now they they understand the game a lot more. So, uh, Dad, just just on that." Uh... So your your first day at Stoke City, Tony Waddington gives you the different coloured bib, puts you in that position. Like, how did you feel about that? I mean, I've gr- I've grown up. This is this is a well known story. I mean, it's a famous story. Well, it's never. I've never heard any other person do it. Any other club do it. But then then you went on to have a a, a good spell after that. To be perfectly honest, I was playing so badly at that time. I knew he turned them against me because in the first few minutes, Mick Pedge got the ball. And I went to get it off him, and he should have given it to me. And he turned the other way and ran down the line with it, as much as say, I'm not passing to you. You know, you prove yourself. You're, you're a flash boy from London, kind of thing. And we never got on from that day. And he never passed the ball to me. So what I done, what I had to do with Mick Paget was not go short for it, just look for the next one and move on. And say, wherever it goes, I'm going to get the next ball, so I'll further up the field. So, but this is, this is... As a, this is where the coaches and this is why they had no say at Stoke. They should have told Pedic, "You got to get the ball into midfield." T- Tony Waddington or the coaches? Well, Tony Waddington knew that he he knew Tony was very very so knowledgeable about the game. He knew I'd work my way out of it. He knew Pedic wouldn't pass on me come 
LRI walker, he wouldn't give me the ball. There was no, there was, and he wouldn't today, he was still the same today with me. He's just argumentative and he wants to fall out with me because he wants to, you know, who are you kind of thing. Why should you be worth all that money and not me, you know. One of those people and you, you get them, putting a team together is, is difficult, isn't it? And you've got all these different characters and a white boy from London, they used to think, oh, Jack the Lad, because I put aftershave on and they didn't like it and stuff like that. And I was making enemies all the time, but that was great because that was the way I wanted to be because I thought I was better than them and I was better than them. And then all of a sudden I found Greenoff on the same level as me and that is why we used to, we built this relationship and the whole team relied on us too. And it was a great saying and uh, a fellow called Nick Hancock who was on television, who was a great Stoke supporter, he said one day, um, he was in a director's box with a fellow called Keith Humphreys. He was a director. And Keith Humphreys turned around to Nick and he said, we got a problem here with Hudson. And he said, why, why have we got a problem? He said, he's, he's changed our team around. He said, he's unbelievable. And he said, well, he said, I'm frightened that we're becoming a one-man team. He said, well, is that such a bad thing? He said, well, say he gets injured, you know, then we're in trouble. Where do, how do we play then? So I had to play injured, whatever. And so there's a bit of a problem. So you've got, the, you've got that to face then. But that's a manager's problem. Coach, a coach can't work that out. Dad, you've asked me before, and we, we've spoke a few times, you know, about how, how would you deal with a superstar player? How would you deal with a messy type player? Well, you just shared there that w when you came into Stoke, Tony Waddington has, has has done this and it's made you uncomfortable. You said it was the one thing that you thought he, he, he did wrong in his in his time as manager with you. So my question is, what, what, what should he have done? But also... Even though you were uncomfortable with it and you felt it was the wrong thing, do you think actually, from his point of view, it was the right thing to do to try and get the best out of you? I think that's saying we'll never know. And all the time I knew him, I was so close to him and loved him like a father, second father. Um, I never asked him this question. I should have. Uh, did he do it on purpose, or did he? Was he? Was he? aware that there was going to be a problem, cause a problem in the dressing room, which he did. Um, and I had to work around that. And I think that was why I was so proud of my time at Stoke, because I had to fight against my own players as well as the opposition. But I thought, I thought that was a good thing, because that spurred me on to do better. A lot of players would have gone the other way and would have, you know, sulked or whatever. But I think Tony sees something in my character from the previous couple of years at Chelsea that I could get through that. He seen me get through my bad injury when I missed the cup final and the World Cup. I missed all that. And a lot of players would have shied away. I played on the bad ankle. We got the ground at Stoke, the fire brigade in to water the pitch for me and stuff like that. It's kind of putting you up there and you kind of walk out of his office. So they done that and I walked out of his office to play Liverpool and... I walked out and I thought, how can I not play for this man? A certain way, he must have, when I walked out of his office, he must have closed the door and he must have thought, I've got him. He's going to be brilliant today. And I was, I was out as well. Shankly coming and shook my hand and said, I've never seen a performance like it. It was all through Tony's um, insight and foresight of saying, I've had this pitch for him. Because he told me to go home. He said, it's going to rain. And it never rained, we had a drought. We had a drought for weeks. And he flooded the pitch for me and I went out and it was my pitch. And afterwards he just smiled at me. You know, as if like, you know, I'll see this film with, uh, you know, God, who is the, the, the colored fellow that plays God, uh, the great actor of Shawshank. Uh, he plays God Almighty. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. He was like that. You know, he's like a figure in the corner. Tony was just a figure, and he sees Shankly come towards me, and Shankly come to me and shook my hand, and he said, Tony, can I come in the dressing room? And Tony said, Bill, our dressing room is your dressing room. As much as say, we've got Bill Shankly in our dressing room. This is, you know, it's a powerful man. And he said, and he was in the corner, like, Tony just stood back, you know. He didn't want to get involved, and he was just, a, you know, it was a moment of, you know, genius, really. But but he never 
didn't he never wanted any plaudits for it. He never he never said afterwards. If it had been Terry Neal at Arsenal, if it had been someone like him, he'd have gone, well, I flooded the pitch for him. And this is this is great management. Tony couldn't coach. He couldn't coach. I'm sure he had his coaching badges, but he didn't want to coach. So prior prior to your first game versus Liverpool, you were on a poor run of form. You weren't playing well here. No, I was playing bad. I had a really bad spell at Chelsea. It was I knew that my my ankle was bad without making an excuse. But then I was I was living out too much for all the wrong reasons. I, I believe that when players have a drink, uh, it's not a drink problem, but it's um it's drinking for good reasons and drinking for bad reasons. There's drink tastes good when you you've played well and it. It's a downer when you're having a bad time, and I was having a bad time. And I remember playing against the West Ham. I thought that was my last game, and I thought I played pretty well. And I got blamed me, and I was got thrown out of the club because of it. And I thought I was playing well. I scored, and I made the other goal, and then we let four in, and we got the blame for it. And then we played. Wait, so I can't so remember Liverpool. So back. you got the blame for it after the game. Yeah. So what? How did that happen? The manager comes in. It was. I think it was bad manager. Very bad manager. It was terrible management on Dave Sexton's part. I, I, I have to be careful because Dave's no longer with us, and I like Dave. I thought he was a good man. He, he was he was a good coach, but he couldn't manage. He was a bad man manager. He, you know, he wouldn't call you in the office or, like you just said, I'd take Lionel Messi out for lunch and, you know, get on well with him and give him my thoughts, get his thoughts, and how can we get the best out of him? But that's what Tony was good at. That was his strength. We would go to lunch, and all the players would think that he was asking me questions about them. But he never did. I never ever mentioned the only time I ever said anything to Tony Waddington about another player of our players was a kid called Alan Dodd, a young player coming our team, and I ran around the track with him one day. And Alan, I was played about six games at Stoke at that time. We'd gone up the league and we were unbeaten and we had a fantastic run. It was all down to me getting the team together, playing for good football and the way Tony wanted to play. But this kid came in and he was fantastic. He was the best centre I've ever seen at that age. And uh, I said to him, we got on the track and I said, Alan, come with me. I said, you would come up front with me. And we ran around the track and I said to him, I said, mate, I said, you've been fantastic for he says, I can't believe I'm running around the track with you. He says, this is incredible. He said, everybody loves you around here, you know, already. He says, I'm thinking of packing the game up. I said, you just marked Kevin Keegan for Liverpool, Joe Dalton for Leeds. I said, he's one of the best in the air. Keegan's one of the quickest. I said, and you put me in your pocket. I said, you can't pack up. But he said, I'm not enjoying it. I, he found the game too easy. And he was the best young centre-half. He should have played for England a hundred times, but he never got one cap. He was, you know. So I told Tony about this. I said, look, you better get this lad in your office and speak to him. You can't lose him, you know. And that was my job. I wasn't the, even the captain. And I, but I, 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 I felt that that was my role to do because you, you, too many young kids went to waste because of bad coaching and bad management. You know, yeah. so, and I see myself as, as that kind of go-between between the players and Tony, but I never mentioned the other players because I don't think they were worth it, so, because they were old enough. Pedrick was, when I went there, same age as me, he was 23, 24. I was only 23 when I went there, and I'd won the FA Cup, the Cup Winners' Cup, the pick of the World Cup, should have played in that. So I was quite experienced compared to them who just played at Stoke. They were backwater team. And they were good, I mean, they were the best defence probably in the league, the hardest, toughest. And then they had the great Gordon Banks in goals, so they, they, were, they were a team. But Tony was building up the other side of the game. Why do you think you, 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 were, you went from, it must have been the space of two or three weeks when you had a, your last game for Liverpool, West Ham, where you got the blame. And then you played your first game for Stoke and you were unbelievable and Shankly comes in the dressing room. How, how can you go from playing badly and to plan so well in such a short space of time, was it just a change of environment? Was it better man management? Plus, you walk into a situation where Tony's really thrown you in the deep end. 
I think you know, I think we'll all agree, and I think you've heard it said a million times, and you confidence is everything. Once you lose your confidence, you lose everything. You might if you when you when you stop believing in yourself in any walk of life, it's not just football, but any walk of life, you lose your confidence. People commit suicide out of this. They lose lose it. You know, we all we've all been in the gutter. Everybody at one stage of their life gets in the gutter and I was in the gutter. And uh, Is it at the end of Chelsea? This is at the end of Chelsea. <coughs> I was going, my father said to me, if you don't get out of Chelsea, you're going to be finished. That's what he said to me. So, okay, so if I'm the manager at Chelsea at that stage, and and I, and I let's just say I've, I've heard third hand that your old man has said this to you. So I've, I've heard that conversation with the manager and your confidence is low. What would you have needed me to do? If I was Dave Sexton, if I was you, if you were my manager, I'd have called me in the office and I'd have said, you're 23 years of age, you've come into the team, we've won the first time we've won the FA Cup, first time we've won the European Trophy, you're only 19, 20, you're not quite the player that you're going to be, you've got a lot to learn, you, I want you to be better, you can improve, which I could, and uh, I'm going to make you captain. You're 21, you're 20 years of age. Tommy Dockett made Terry Venables captain at 18, 19. Eddie McCready made Ray Wilkins captain when he was 18, 19. They were great moves, great move for the player, great move for the team. Uh, and he should have made me captain at Chelsea. Took it off Ron Harris and said, look, you're a left back, stay left back. You're not, you're not worthy of running this team. Alan's going to run the team and built the team around me. That's what he should have done instead of selling me. And that would have made me become a better player. That would have made me become the player that I became in Stoke because Tony gave me that. So that's what Tony did at Stoke. That's what Tony did. Yeah. He called me in and he said, look, this is a player who's going to change everything. <coughs> and, 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 it, and it did. And people didn't like it because people don't like someone having that much responsibility. But I didn't feel it, feel it was good because... I was, he, he put me in a situation where I was back at school playing the way I wanted, I could play. And I, then I'd become a genuine inside forward, like the great Johnny Haynes and the great Suarez and the great players of the past, Puskas and all these players that I wanted to be like. I was not as good as them, but I thought I was. And if you've got that belief, then, and that is your job as a manager, to make every player believe that they're that good. And if you do, you've got a different team on there. You've got a team of believers under you. Dad, in your, in your career, when you've been at your very best, when you're enjoying your football, when you've been at your most confident, you know, has that been a is that been an internal an internal thing, an internal drive? Are you you know, was it a natural confidence? Or has there been managers that have really helped you, that have talked to you, that have, you know, said and done certain things, or is there certain preparation that you used to do that it, that gives you confidence? You know, what was it? There's only three managers. There's only three managers that have managed me that have allowed me to become the player that I was. One was Tony Waddington. One was Jimmy Gabriel and one was Alan Hinton. They were three people that wanted me to play like they knew I could play. Don Revy tried to ruin me. Alf Ramsey didn't care because he'd won the World Cup and nothing mattered to him. Because he won the World Cup, he thought he was, that was the worst thing ever happened to England, winning the World Cup, because they, done it, they did it with so many average players. That's five players in a team that wouldn't have got in another team. We had five world-class players and six very average players. Um, but a manager can make or break you. They don't realise they don't realise the responsibility they got to a footballer or an actor or a singer or whatever. I'm reading Elton John's book at the moment, and he had to go it alone, and he broke all the rules so it is way. Even had to dress up as women to to get seen, to get be noticed. You know, you have to do something outrageous to to beat these people. And I, I had that problem with Don Revy. I knew he hated me. He told me he hated me. You know, and he told other players he hated them. He didn't want them in the team because he didn't like them. He didn't like this. They didn't like anybody that expressed themselves. He wanted them to do as they're told. 
in Mastuji Tal was like an army, you know, like these people are nasty people, you know, and then they want, they don't want to get the best, they don't want you to express this, they don't want you to be happy, you know, they want to make your life miserable. I said to you yesterday, no, how many of you watch, you watch football today, how many players do you see smile? We watched Matter today last night. How many smiles did we see? Players play with smiles. Well, Brian Clough said to Tom Revy, didn't he? Your players don't play with a smile on their face. And when he left, he, he told them on film. And he, he did tell them. I know by the fact that he did tell them. You don't smile. Leeds United don't smile. You're not good champions. You've got to enjoy life. I said to you a long time ago about in your career, if you're going to be successful, you want someone to share that success with. No good being successful on your own. So, because life is lonely, you know, there's nothing, no better feeling in the world to, to win and be brilliant at what you do and enjoy it with someone who's done it with you. Dan, can you give us a few examples of where, where managers have, have really got the best out of you, where you've been, you know, had unbelievable performances, felt good, confident, and it's been as a result of what the manager's done for you. And also the other side of it, has there been situations where things have happened, the way you've been managed, the way you've been communicated to, and as a result, you've not felt confident, you've not felt good, you've not really felt like you want to fight for the manager. Have you got anything you can share there as well? There's two cases. The, 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 the best case scenario is the Waddington case, which we spoke about. And the worst scenario is the Arsenal case. I've gone from the best manager in the world to the worst manager in the world. Now I've got a problem. How do I... I can't play to my very best with a manager like that. Why is it? Because he had no respect for me. And if he doesn't respect me, then I don't respect him. We, lose, look, we lost all respect. How did that... So him, him not respecting you, what did that look like? Just the way well, he spoke you, to you, the way... Yeah, it would. I think the first move, Ant, was um, he showed a lack of respect by selling Alan Ball. Alan Ball was one of the greatest players this country has ever had. They didn't produce Alan Ball. Alan produced. Uh, we get this wrong in this country as well, where we say player clubs produce players. They don't. Players produce players. They, their father, my father, produced me. He brought me up to be the player. Alan Ball was a player before he went to Blackpool, before he went to Everton, he, before he played for England. They never, England never produced Alan Ball. Alan Ball was Alan Ball. He brought something into that England team which was just dynamic. You can't coach Alan Ball, he's uncoachable. You know, he would say to you as a coach, excuse me coach this morning, you know, leave it to me. And you, 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 you just let him take over. That's what you want, was it? Yeah, when you've got a player like that, yeah, you're happy to do that. Absolutely. And he's inspirational for me to play at Wembley with Alan Ball. I could have played with two other England players and think, God, they wouldn't pass the ball to me. They wouldn't, they wouldn't know when to pass the ball to me. And I would have been average against West Ham. So, so he sold Alan Ball. So it's all about, this, it's all about this respect part. So he, he, stopped, he sold Alan Ball. And then what, what, how else did it? Well, he, that relationship? I went to, when I went to Arsenal, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave Stuck. It broke my heart and to leave Tony. Uh, but then the next thing, you know, I'm going to Arsenal and I'm thinking, well, I got now I've got to get the best out of what I've got. And I thought, well, they've got a world-class player in Liam Brady, who's one of the greatest things I've ever seen, who was a left-sided player. They've got Alan Ball. Now, if I can get my fitness... I thought then three would have been, we would have had the best three, we would have been the best trio in the, in the world at that time, if not this country, you know. And I walked in the office one day and I heard him say to his assistant, Will Dixon, who didn't really have a clue about football, he said to him, you know, I heard him say that they were going to sell Alan Ball. And I said, excuse me, I said, I've come here to play with Alan Ball, but I've just played with him for Germany. I said, do you, do you understand what we could be, me, Brady and Paul? And he said, no, he's going. And I lost respect for him. At that moment, I know he didn't want the best for Arsenal Football Club. So if he didn't want the best for Arsenal Football Club, he didn't want the best for me. He weren't going to get the best out of me. So we fell out from day one. Did he not try and recover that? No, he didn't have the ability, Anne. He didn't have the ability. He thought he was... 
he thought he was bigger than Arsenal Football Club. He, he drove around in a flash car. He, he was flash. He, he, was, he, was, he didn't know much about football. He was, uh, he was, he was a centre-half. Cent, most centre-halves don't know much about football, um, I'm afraid. So, he, 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 again, it, it's a management side. It was just, a, you know, going from Waddington, it was, it was an odd act to follow. You know, that godlike figure in the corner was gone. And I was inspired no more at Arsenal. I just, and it was only when I watched people like Brady, and he's a different kind of character than me because he was like the god there. He was a fantastic. But when we lost Alan Ball, it would kind of, it broke, you know, he was, a, he was the inspiration of the team. And he cried, Ball, he cried one day with me that he didn't want to leave Arsenal. And then one, one man in management, they don't realise the responsibility they got. Management is a massive job, a massive job. That's why it's Ferguson, look at Ferguson. Again, you know, he got great players and he got the best out of great players. Eric Cantona, what did he do for Cantona, you know? Uh, he brought him into the club. Trevor Francis didn't want to sign him, but he said he's an average player. But he made him God, he made him believe it, that he was better than what he was. And he did, he picked Cantona up and Cantona wouldn't have got a game anywhere else. Wouldn't have got a game. Why, why, was, why was Fergie, why was he such a good manager? Well, first of all, he, uh, he realised the most important thing in football is someone who put the ball in the back of the net. There's no doubt about that. That's why they cost so much money. And everyone at Ferguson ball, Van Nistelrooy, Teddy Sheridan, the greatest striker, he always bought, because he was a centre forward, Alex Ferguson, so he knew how important that was, score goals. So that was his first thing. And then he knew that to have the best strikers, you've got to have people in midfield who can give them the ball at the right time. So he had the great Brian Robson, who's probably second best to Bobby Moore we've ever had, the two greatest captains England ever had. And then he brought in Roy Keane. So he knew, he knew the game, Ferguson. But more importantly, he knew the importance of Manchester United. Unlike Terry New, Terry Neal with Arsenal, who didn't know the importance of Arsenal and the history of Arsenal, Herbert Chapman and people like that, the great Marvel Hall, to walk up them steps. He thought they were his steps, but they weren't. They were Arsenal's steps. And you've got, to, you've got to take some pride in that. And when I walked up them, I felt like a giant, you know, to play for Arsenal. It's a big club, better than Emirates. Highbury was the, the place. Ferguson knew that old Trafford, and he instilled that in his players. To play for us, you've got to be special. And he made them average players, them kids that come through, they were average. They wouldn't have got a game anywhere else. The two Nevilles, Nicky Butt, they wouldn't have got a game at Chelsea. They'd have been average players. Ferguson made these into superstars. Beckham, he sent him to Preston to grow him up. He made Beckham into a superstar. Ferguson done that through absolute sheer brilliant management. Dad, what, what would you, what made you a player? Was it a person? Was it? In, I know you, you talk about granddad. You talk about your dad, and how he had a big influence on you. But what, what, what were the things that made? Was it, was it? Did you, uh, you were naturally gifted? Was it just hours and hours of practice? Uh, did you have people pushing you? Did you have a lot of sacrifice? You know, you had to sacrifice friends as a as a young kid. Sacrifice going out. You know, what were the things that were that helped you get to where you were? I think my, the the best thing that ever happened to me was um, I got a wake up call. I played against Leeds one day. How old were you then? I was eighteen. First, my first season, we played them in the League Cup. They were the toughest team to play against Leeds. The most horrible team, like their manager. Horrible, horrible team. They would do anything to beat you. Referees have told me they hated refereeing them. And I remember on the played in the League Cup and they moved me. I was being out strength by a fella called Paul Mabley. Big fella in midfield. I couldn't keep up with him. 
He was too strong for me. He, over, he overpowered me. And at half time, I didn't realise at that time, Dave Sexton put Johnny Ball into midfield in my position, put me on the wing, which I hated, didn't like it. And uh, the only thing I got out of the game is I stuck the ball through Terry Cooper's legs. So I thought I'd done all right. I thought I had a good game. But I found out the next day from my best friend at that time, Tony Free, that my dad turned around to him and said, if Alan continues like that, he'll be playing Sunday football. He's going to be out. He's not good enough. He's not acceptable. He's living life down the King's Road. And he thinks that's good enough to be a professional footballer. Then he's going to be out. And Tony told me, without my dad knowing, he said, your dad is not happy with you. So I up my training. I started training double hard. Even when I, after training, I would go home. Even it's, when I got to Seattle, we used to run the hills in Seattle. I used to go and play tennis on a Sunday with Roy Grease. I used to make sure that I was fitter than anybody, although I was injured all the time. And so that was my wake-up call. If my dad hadn't have said that, maybe I'd have gone downhill. Because I thought I was... And, and, and other players would have seen me gone downhill. They wouldn't have had no one to help me. Manager wouldn't have helped me. Dave Sexton wouldn't have helped me. He never pulled me aside and said, look, you better straighten it. Ferguson would have pulled me in the office and said, this is not good enough, son. You're, you're better than that. Dad, I just want to, I want to add something on that because I, I look back and uh, I look back at when I was a young player ju just for the purpose of trying to be a better coach. But when, you know, in my case, when you, when you grow up with a, with a, you know, as a young kid and you've got a famous dad as, a, as, a, as, a, as an ex-player, you know, that comes with certain pressures and, and rightly or wrongly, as a kid, you have certain thoughts in your mind, whether, you know, wh whether there's an external pressure, which there invariably is with the, with the territory, but also that, which I think is even, even tougher to deal with is the, the sort of internal dialogue that goes with it in your own mind, you know, and, you know, in my case, you, you have the thoughts of you're only here because your dad, you're never, you're never going to be as good as your dad. You're just a, you know, you're just a bit part player in your dad's world. And, and these are the, this is the kind of, when you're playing in the same uh, sport as your old man and you're trying to make it. But, but one thing, one thing I've always thought about is when I look back, I think as a young kid, all I ever really wanted was a coach to pull me in the office and have a conversation and just get to know me and ask about how I was finding things, how, you know, what I was thinking about the game, how my personal life was, am I struggling with as the family, just getting to know me and trying to pull things out and just being curious about these things. And, and I have to say, I look back and that never, ever happened. And, and I think that's something that's so important. We've had, we've, we're going to do this and this has been our discussion all along, the difference between a coach and a manager, and a coach's job is to coach, uh, and a manager is to pull you into the office and see how you are. It's more than football. It's more than how you played on Saturday. Tony Waddington used to know what your private life was. Ferguson wanted to know how your private life was. He tried to get people married when they were young so, so they wouldn't go out so much. All this total psychology, that was his psychology. But he would call people in the office. Exactly, do you feel left out? I've got a friend at the moment, a fellow called Jeff Idle was at Chelsea, and I speak to him about this. He said, Dave Sexton hated me, he never, never helped me. I needed help. There's kids, do you need help? Yeah. I remember you playing for West Ham and I had the uncle with you, and I was, I was wrong. I should have pulled you aside. But I, I would just had the uncle. Because I, you were doing you were running up and letting other people do what you should have been doing. I wanted you to go and get the ball off the fullback and you was letting the fullback over, you know, go past you and hitting long balls and you were going like that. You weren't getting a ball and I said to Tony, I think I said to Tony Carr, do something. Do something. Yeah. You know, you're not helping no one's helping you. You needed help. And I was like that as a kid before you, a lot younger. When I went for trials as as a kid Kids would just overpower me. Yeah, but it, it, so as a as a and, and Tony was a, he's a good man. I, I love Tony. But when I if I was if I was coaching me at that stage, no, because you even your presence at the training ground is a big thing for a young player. There's young other young players around there, and all you know, there's Alan Hudson over there, ex Chelsea, blah blah blah. Yeah, I, I, if I was coaching me then, I would have pulled me in the office and had a conversation. How are you doing? 
What did you think of the game on Saturday? What do you think of? Would you would you would you fold yourself in as a coach or a manager? As a manager. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's the importance of manager. There was never one. I never had one conversation about anything other than football on a Saturday. That's so. That's what I found about coaches. That's the the, the greatest coach. I've ever come across. The only one I've ever believed in was Don Al. And I had a falling out with Don Al. He called me in one day before the FA Cup final and he blasted me. You know, he blasted me and I, I, I couldn't answer him back. I, it wasn't my fault, but he, he had every right to blast me because he cared that much. He cared about the individual. Don would pull you in. If he sees something was wrong, he, he would pull you in. But then Dawn went into management and he couldn't manage. So that, that's a very fine line, that really grey area. It's a really grey area what you want to be. But if you go into management, you take on a whole new responsibility. You've got, you've got people's lives in your hand. Whereas if you're a coach, you just got your day-to-day -day work. I've, I've got these players, I've had them for two hours this morning, now it's a manager's job. It's what we had at Chelsea with Dave Saxon, exactly the same. See, Dave made enemies. I would go into a contract meeting with Dave. He would refuse to give me £25 a week more than what I wanted. And yet, in the following day, we're going to train. He'd be a different man. He'd be a nice man. So you've got two faces. He'd be a nice man, and he'd say, Alan, I want you to do this. And I'd say, I'm not doing it. I wouldn't do it. I'm not doing that. I'd run, rather run the other way and work harder over there than do, it, do what he said, because he wouldn't give me £25. What are you, a manager or a coach? Don't tell me what to do. If, you, you, you know, if we can't meet halfway, but this is your problem you've got, doing, being a manager and being a, and a coach. You can't do both. You've got to be one or the other. Arsenal's most successful team was the double-winning team. Forget Wenger, because that wasn't Wenger's team. That was half George Graham's team. George Graham half won that invincible. That was George Graham's team. He brought the back four. He built them for Wenger and he gave him that. He just got the players that could play. And that's why Wenger couldn't do it afterwards. And they all packed up Adams and Bold. Fantastic, you know. That was George Graham, not Arsene Wenger. He just got the players that could play. So they, they couldn't handle that. So Dave was, Dave was like that. Dave would be sitting in his dress in, in the office and talk to players as if he was manager. And then he closed the door and then like Tommy Cooper, you know, the old famous Steve, one side of him was one person, one side was another person. That was, one was manager, one was coach. Well, you can't be that. You've got to be one manager, one coach, and you've got to be different. You've got to be different personalities. And you've got to know where you stand. So you've got to, you know, this, Game of football is all about great management. That's why the Germans are so good. The Germans have got it off to a T. You know, they 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 know as a manager. The coaches, you know, they 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 know how to play football. They know how to do things right. We in this country, we don't. We we, we, we there's just too many grey areas. Ferguson never coached. Ferguson could coach. He should stand on touchline. He used to tell the coaches what to do, but he wouldn't do it. He was clever. He was, he was smarter than anyone, Fergus. He would tell the coach, and if he didn't like, but look, look, Brian Kidd, I'd see something on the telly the other day, Brian Kidd hugged Fergus and kissed him when they, and they were running the field and all that. It was all, that was rubbish. That was bad acting, you know. And Ferguson got rid of him because of that. If Brian, could have been, if Brian could have been straight and sincere as his right-hand man, he would have been the next Manchester United manager. But now he's gone to Manchester City and he sits on the bench and he kisses them. How rude. You know, it's like having an affair, isn't it? You know, you kissed me last week, kissing your badge. All this rubbish, you know. As a manager, you, you've got to straighten that out. And that's what Ferguson done him. Right? That's why he's so powerful. Even the England rugby team got him into winning the World Cup because his philosophy. 
you've got to be so passionate, you've got to be so madly passionate about what you do. It's impossible to yeah. do. You can't, you can't do it in two films. Like, it's like making a film, that's why you have producers, directors, all got different jobs. You can't do the whole package. Dad, you, you, just going back, you said um, at 18 you got a wake-up call and you heard that, what, you, what your dad said. Right, and that, that changed how you started training, changed your mentality, changed your attitude, sounded like. But what made you a player? What got you, what got you on the pitch against Leeds in the first place? Because like, that, that in itself is an achievement, really. And if you look at nowadays, to, to get on the pitch against Leeds at 18 is an achievement. How did you get to that level? Lucky. I was lucky. I wasn't good enough. I don't think I, I was... I never really believed that I was going to be a footballer, unlike so many people. I played against Glenn Hoddle in his first game and he knew he was going to be one of the best in the world, and he was. His first game at Stoke, but when I played, I didn't believe that I was going to be a footballer. My first game, we lost 5-0 at Southampton. I never played for another nine months, so I thought, I'm going to look for another job here. I could see myself following my dad being a decorator, and I never thought I was going to make it. And then just one day, four of our players got drunk and I was thrown in at Southampton and lost 5-0. And then the, the following season, that right out of the blue, he picked me to play at Tottenham because they were, first team was struggling. And he sees something, it, it just took a chance for me. I don't think he knew I was. He, he must have seen something that I didn't see. But my, my dad believed that I was. My dad was still believing that I was. What about before that? So what? But so what got you the talent? Like what got you to be able to, when you were given the opportunity, you delivered, and and then you and then you I don't know. Man, I don't know. I think it's an it's something inside here. We never know. Going back to Alan Ball, I, I, I think I've asked Alan Ball this question, what made him so good? You don't know. Yeah, but you must remember going, you, you going out in the prehab every day as a young kid and, and playing football every day or going knocking the ball against the wall. Like, Kids tell kid. me I was much, so much better than them, I, I didn't know it. I just, it was natural, just, it must be like someone who's got a fantastic singing voice and they, they, they can't hear it themselves. It comes out of their mouth. I, I mean, I love Adele. I walk in a pub and I hear her voice, and, but, and my friend knows her. And she talks to him, and you can't believe that these, she can sing like that the way she talks. But she must listen to her music and think, who's that? It must, it's like football. I, you know, when you're doing it yourself, when I'm, I played in, so I was gutted. I was gutted when Brian Clough film came out, the Damn United. I played against Leeds and made the goals of, beat in his first game and I was gay that weren't on the film because I wanted to see it because I wanted to show Brian Clough because I fell out with Brian Clough and I wrote him a letter. I said, don't you ever go, don't you ever have a go at me. You're not good enough to have a go. So he had a go at you? I helped get him the sack. He had a go at me. He said I fell off, fell off a store in Amsterdam airport, which I didn't. What, was this in the media or this, what? He, no, he told Alan Hinton. He, he said that your captain, he said he fell at a store in Amsterdam. And I wrote him a letter and I said, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. You're not good enough to have a go at me. I got you to sack it, Leeds, so I'll get you the sack. I said, that's what you should have told my manager. Have more respect. I respect you as a manager. What you've done for North Forest was unbelievable. I think he's a fantastic man. And I, I had to tell him, I, and, and he, he gave me the first drink when I see him and he said, I like you because you've got bollocks. And he never spoke to me no more. So yeah, what, that was it. So where was this then? So he, this called you in his he called you in his office, didn't he? No, I went in there, me and Alan went in to see him back, getting some players for Seattle. And, then, and he just didn't even look at me and he just said, you young man, he says, you can have the first drink because you've got bollocks. And that was all he said to me. I never spoke to him after, never, no, he didn't want a conversation with me, nothing. That's the way he was. That's why he was such a magnificent manager. Because that was his way. But you knew where you stood with him. Yeah. You know. And he was a man that if he could have, he could have slaughtered me, which he did to Alan Hinton. But the, he was a kind of man that would sign me. And he was a kind of man that I'd say, well, I'll play for you because I'm going to show you how good I am. 
So that's another way of getting the best out of it. If Ferguson would have signed me, I'd have wanted to play for Ferguson because I wanted to be show that I was better than Roy Keane. I would have, I wanted to play for the best manager. And it's yeah. it's uh, you, it's something inside. Going back to your question, it's something in in inside you that you want to be. I always wanted to be the best player on the field. Winning well enough. I didn't like winning. I wanted to be the best player. And that was something you can't coach, can't put into people. You can you can you can see it in them and say, quiet. Like Brian Robson, I stood to Brian, next to Brian Robson at uh, Don Howe's funeral, and I was in the presence of greatness. And he's smaller than me, and I looked up to him. And I said to Alan, your brother, I said, shake his hand. That's greatness. Something else, man. It was something special, you know. I, uh, Dad, you said, you mentioned last night we 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 talked about um, Tony Waddington, and uh, you said about this this is man management for me. This is man management. But you said about when you when you signed and you went on tour, and he went down to London, didn't he? I met your mum. Yeah. <laughs> so we so said, tell, tell me the story about this. This is why you think he's a great manager. What did he do? What, what? I think it's got, I think one of the reasons he was a great man is because I think he was more important. I think he's a great person. Um, to care about someone, uh, I'll get emotional. That's <laughs> because he's dead, is it? It's caring, and it's um, to take time out to, for a player is something. Uh, what, what did he do? That what was this? I think what he, he did was he see what I was doing for him, um, and how I changed things around, and I think he kind of wanted to repay me by getting my life back, which was more than football. It was personal. And uh, I think for him to get me out, take me out of the gutter and put me up on the pedestal was something. That's management. No coach in the world could do that. No coach. Nobody owned certain people. As Jeff Powell wrote in one of my books, uh, it was my Svengali. Everybody needs a Svengali. Everybody needs somebody to get the best out of them. And somewhere in life, some people go through life and never meet a perfect partner. You know, people go, some people go through their life, you could have all the money in the world. I've been in the city this week with people with millions and millions of pounds but they never meet someone of such greatness. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something quite incredible, really. And uh, people at Stoke, uh, my, my player, my teammates at Stoke, um, and they know who they are. I don't have to mention their names. They know who they are. I've seen them. I've seen them quite regularly. And they envy me. They're really jealous of me because they never had what I had with Tony. Amazing. And I can go to Stoke and I can feel 10 foot taller than them because I was, uh, I was his leader. And we got that close to, we would have won the European Cup. If Gordon Banks hadn't have had been in that car crash, and we had that aiming goal. If Terry Conroy hadn't been injured, a couple of ifs, but they tragic, too tragic. Uh, we would have won the league, 
we would have shown Don Revy that he wasn't as good as what he was. Waddington was better than him. He should have got the England job. Clough should have got the England job. These people, there's people of greatness. And Tony was that great a manager. Matt Busby wanted him to follow him after the Munich and all that. He needed greatness to follow him and he wanted Tony. And I'll see that one day. Um, so I think what I'm trying to say is concentrate on what Tony said. From being, what's the art of, of being, become, becoming a great manager? Simple. It's knowing a good player. And if you've got an eye for a good player, then you could be a good manager because that's all you need. And then you can sit back on a Saturday afternoon and say, well, I don't have to do nothing more, but I've got good players. I can rely on, like Ferguson, I can rely on these players. I can rely on Sheridan. Teddy Sheridan was one of the greatest players ever produced. I see him at Millwall. I see him at Tottenham. I see him at Notts Forest for club. I see him, I'd see him better than Cantona. Cantona was great, but then Ferguson brought Sheridan in and he was better than Cantona. He won the double, he won the treble with Manchester. Cantona had never done that. Teddy was better than him. But they loved Cantona because he was French and he was flamboyant and he was outspoken. But he wasn't as good as Sheridan. Not in my eyes. Teddy was the best. And I was I, I was in a bar with him one day and I, I was quite I wanted to go and ask him resort right. It's because I, I love football. But he's smart as well, he's always smart me. He's always, you know, he looks apart. And when he walks on the field, he knows he's better than everyone. Great, great. So, you know, and that's your job in management to get players like that. If you see him play, you'll go, I don't care, I'm going to have him. Because he's going to make me a better manager. Tony Waddick, when he was out, when he, if he would see a player, a great, great player, he wanted to sign him. Because he knew they were going to make Stoke City better. And he never wanted to lose Stoke City. He wanted Stoke to be the best. To be the best, you've got to have the best. For you as a manager, that's your job, to bring inspirational people into your club. Tony done that with Stanley Matthews. You know, whatever he was of a man, it's a different matter, but he put 30,000 people on the gate, they went in to see him, and he was Sir Stan. He was inspirational. And followed, and George Easton was inspirational. When I put George Easton number 10 shirt on, I felt, now I'm going to show you I'm better than you. And I used to play against him in training. He was the hardest opponent I ever had. Great George Eastman. Only little. always like Steve Battle. Dodgy leg. But these are the things, the inspiration. And it's, it's what you can't do. I see you coaching in Colorado and coaching these players and they didn't have a clue about this kind of thing. And I used to tell them about, isn't it great to come into training every day? What a great life you've got. You could be behind the desk, nine till five, waiting, watching the clock. Now I'm going home, sit down, have a glass of wine, go down a pub or whatever. But now you're out here training. Give it, you're privileged. This is a great life. Best life in the world. Breaks your heart when you finish. To, to be able to run for 90 minutes, you know. This is what you've got to get through. But they have, actually have that ability, that ability on top to be an Alan Ball. Alan Ball should have not been a coach. He was a useless coach. He should have just been a manager. Because Alan Ball was a coach couldn't coach players because he expected everybody to be like him. At Stoke, he coached players and they hated him because he used to talk down to them. He used to think, why can't you do what I do? Well, they're not good enough. They're Stoke City and they were in the second division. He wanted them to be like him. But he couldn't see that. He was blind. He needed, he needed, he needed to tell a coach to get the best out of them players and he would get away from the training ground because 
Glenn Hoddle is the same. He's exactly the same as Alan Ball. He can't coach. He's great knowledge of the game. Fantastic football. He should stay away. And if he, if he thought Ireland Jury was going to make them players better, then he needed to see a doctor himself. But he got away with it. I mean, you know, that's why they would never be great managers. They haven't got that gift. They haven't got the Ferguson. They haven't got the Steel. They haven't got. They're not reality. They they don't live in the real world. They live in their world. Alan Ball, you know, he thought he could manage. He thought he could coach, but he couldn't. You've got to divide them to divide them, and you've got to go. I want to be the best manager in the world. If you're going to be the best manager in the world, we forget coaching. You know? Then uh, I want to finish on this. I want to just ask you that story about Tony Warrington because you, you mentioned it last night and I loved it about Tony going down to London. Your mother? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me the story. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I, so you're, I, you're at Stoke. You're about to go on tour, yeah? He must have seen that I needed something. I was running around. I was, I was Jack the Lad. I wasn't, I wasn't flash. I've never been flash in my life. I've just been. So sure, of when I reached Stoke and started playing for Tony, I've met the man that I've always wanted. I've got my second father. He was my dad and everyone rolled into one. He was everything. And uh, I think he made me, him and my dad made me the player. And nobody else, nobody else helped me. Nobody, they sex and never made me what I was, um, couldn't. No coaches at Chelsea. Dario Grady was there when I was a kid. He was a good coach, yeah, good coach, but couldn't teach me anything. Because I, I knew, I, I wasn't that good. I wasn't that good as, I wasn't that great. But I thought I was, and that helps. Uh, and Tony, I think Tony see that I was like 75, 80% happy because I was missing something. He knew I loved your mum uh, and he wanted to do it. And what did he do? He went down to London? Yeah. I think he fancied because <laughs> he was a bit like that, Tony. He was, uh, yeah, he wanted, I, I, I look at it, I, I'm a great believer in uh, I love writing. I'm a great believer in life's like a jigsaw puzzle. Boris Gump says it's a box of chocolates. I think it's a jigsaw puzzle. And uh, and he likes to you like to fit all these things in, and he could see that my jigsaw was almost complete. He thought I was fantastic. He wanted to be me as a player. I know what he wanted because people told me before. He said he was an inside forward and he got, he got gammy knee, he got to pack up. He was a Busby babe. He, was, he said he wasn't a good player. He said but he, wasn't, he thought he was a good player, but he loved inside forwards. And he loved, he seen me as a kid at Chelsea and he must have thought, oh, I would like to be like him because he was Jack. Tony was a bit Jack the Lad. He was a complex person. But he wanted to be, he, I think he was me. You know, it, it was stated weird. And if, if I went into management, I would want to be him. It's a fantastic relationship. And it's also very, it should be a movie, it's inspirational. So pick me up. And he wanted to go down to London to speak to Maureen and say, look, you need you. It's in the film, the great Jerry Maguire being in the film, the deaf and dumb person in the lift. And they make signs to each other. And Joe McGuire said to her, No, you're on about. He said, You make me complete. Great line. I look at everything as movies and books and all. It was a great line. And that was, he didn't see me as complete. He wanted me to be so happy. He, and he went and he, and he told yeah. Mum to, You need he to get said, up to you to, Yeah, you better get up there. Yeah. See, that, that's, that's management. That's management. That's, yeah, the old, that's, that's the ultimate management. Yeah. Ferguson would have done it. Ferguson would have done it. Terry Neal wouldn't have done it at Arsenal. He would have said, let him rock. Let him go the wrong way. 
if I'm not happy, he ain't going to be happy. But Tony, by making me happy, he become happy. And then he got better, and this jigsaw now is getting better, and the box of chocolates are tasting better, aren't they? You know, everything's better. Now he's making me happy, and now he got plenty now he can concentrate on someone else. He can speak to Alan Dot, he used to speak to players, but he had players that he knew that wouldn't listen to him anyway. Them players I spoke about earlier in your team, but you let them get on with it because, to be perfectly truthful, and as a manager, and he knew it, they could take care of themselves on the field and they would kick anybody. They would kick their own granny to stop the other team's goal. They let them do what they do, but he didn't really care about them in their life because they thought they were better than everybody else. But he knew I cared. You know, I, he knew that I wanted to get Stoke City to where he wanted them to go. And he knew that I wanted to, when we beat Liverpool, we beat Leeds and at Victoria ground, that they loved me in Stoke. The people in Stoke at the Vietnam Games, they loved me. And I can understand that. And I love them because they helped me. The Boobin end lifted me. When they sang, I walked on water. Well, I did because of them. And so it's all the jigsaw again. It's all, and Tony sat in the stand. They wanted, if, if I'd have been useless against Liverpool in my first game, it could have all went really pear-shaped. And I could have been out and he would have got sacked. You've always got to look at the other side of the coin. That is why we were so proud. Me and him, we would go out together, we were so proud because he could show me off and say, I bought him for a quarter million pound record signing. And what did he do? He took us to the top. He showed West Germany. That was Tony's management. Fantastic management. But if it had all gone wrong, we'd have bounced back. You know, because in the end, what he always taught me, he taught me, told me one thing, football, football will always win. There's only one way to play football. That's the right way. And I told him one day, I said, Tony, I said, just before I left Chelsea, I played against Wimbledon. Dennis Wise, a crazy gang. I found it very hard and I was struggling at Chelsea. I was finished really on my last legs. And I said, I found it really difficult. He said, no, will you come back here and play? He says, you'll be all right. He says, just play. Football will always win. Wimbledon will go down the drain. And they did. Football always win. And that's why, going back to the Germans, that's why they always produce and produce and produce because they played it the right way. There's only one way to play football. Coaches try to change that. Wimbledon way and the long ball. They ruined English football for 10 years. I went to America, come back, and I didn't know what was happening. Thought there'd been a war. Thought, they wrecked our game. It's not football anymore. Vinnie Jones was, you know, playing. Vinnie Jones, he's an actor, you know, because he's earning millions as a thug in America. He's playing, he's playing professional football. What are these people doing in that game? Billy Bremner and Johnny Charles, they, they were like assassins, but they were great footballers. Great footballers. Beyond, beyond, you know, that's how you, and you love playing against them. And you, you love them kicking you and you, you, everything was a test, you know. And I think, I think as we talk, I, I think I'm writing this book about Frank. Frank Lampard will become a great manager. They say he's a good coach, but it, one day he's going to have to sit, he's going to have to separate them two jobs. He's all right in coaching the kids, the young players. He, can, he might be able to teach them, but one day he's got to get away from them because they, they can do themselves. But I think you're going to grow big. He'll probably be a great England manager one day because he's got a good start. Got good experience as well, hasn't he? So it's, at the end of the day, it's all about coaches and managers, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a different ball game. Man. Coaches and Don Howe proved that. Don Howe was a great coach, couldn't manage. Dave Sexton 
good cops couldn't manage. You can't play two two instruments. The one I'll probably upset a lot of coaches, but I don't mind. I like to go in a seminar with them. I upset coaches and referees and wives. <laughs> <laughs> that that's been really good. We we, we could sit here for hours. That's been yeah. really good.